Today's Egg Spotlight episode is sponsored by Coolers. Make every day a cool day for your cows. The Coolers system allows you to control the cow's environment 24-7. For more information, go to NorthAmericanAg.com and find them in the Industry Connect section. Welcome to North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak, and I am so happy today to be speaking with veterinarian and graduate of the College of Veterinary Medicine, Colorado State University. He holds a master's degree in agriculture economics and an undergraduate degree in animal science, concentrating on microbiology, cattle production, and farm and ranch financial, financial performance analysis. He has provided consultation and equine training services for the Pentagon, the Walt Disney Company, and many others. He's presented at more than 1,400 seminars and on-farm workshops about safe human and animal interaction in the U.S., Canada, Scandinavia, and the European Union. I would like to welcome Dr. Don Hoagland. Dr. Hoagland, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, Chrissy, and thank you for having me on your show. Uh, The first time that I saw you speak, it was almost 10 years ago, and it left a great impression on me. You spoke about the Department of the Interior's Wild Horse Prison Inmate Training Program. Can you talk about that program a little? I can. And I did many seminars in Canada, and I found the Canadian farmer and farming family to be wonderful people. Back uh, early in 1988, a long time ago, several decades ago, the I was intensely involved in the Bureau of Land Management in the United States, south of the border, as the Canadians would have it. Mm -hmm. I was involved in helping the prison inmate training programs for wild horses in the state of New Mexico. Colorado had started a 50-horse program that they'd run for a number of years. And in New Mexico, we developed three major prisons blowing from 50 horses in Colorado to 1,500 head of horses in each of three facilities and prisons in the state of New Mexico. So what my role was under a competitive bid contract to the federal government was to provide all the veterinary services, but it was also to help advise trainers on a best way to safely and humanely at that time and efficiently handle wild horses. After all, the greatest letter writing campaign in the history of the United States, second only to the Vietnam War, was about the Free Roaming Horses and Burrow Act of 1972. So we had a spotlight on this all the time. And that program was to help prison inmates who were just about to go back into domestic life and horses who had known no domestic life, not even seen in almost all cases, not even seen a halter, Wow. put them together. And here is what I learned from that program. It was sometimes the only friend a prison inmate ever had. The horse and the human grew together. The human learned to control their behavior. And the horse learned to respond calmly. The families from the prison inmates, when they went out into the community, were absolutely letter writers themselves, appreciative that it there loved one who came out of the prison system for whatever they were in there for in the first place, were calmer, more purposeful, and never raised a hand. Wow. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, So we're going to get to dairy. We're definitely going to talk about dairy. But first, I want to ask, you wrote a book 
He wrote the book, Nobody's Horses, The Dramatic Rescue of the Wild Herd of Wild Sands. Can you tell us a bit about that book and your experience with those horses? Yes. While I was working with Walt Disney Company in Paris, producing Buffalo Bill Wild West show for the CEO of Disney, Michael Eisner, at the time, I was brought back from France to White Sands Missile Range in southern New Mexico, a two million acre proving ground that was developed in, during World War II, specifically to help the British prepare for bombing on Germany to repay them for the Blitz on London. And then after that, for the development of the most secret Manhattan project called Trinity Site for the first thermonuclear detonation anywhere in the world. Because of that impending project, all of the ranches in the northern 600,000 acres to a total of 2 million acres were asked politely to leave. They were to get their land back after the war was over, according to General MacArthur, but as history would have it, they didn't get their land back. The horses remained because ranchers could catch their cattle every night who came in for food, but the horses only came in every once in a while. So the horses were left there and they happened to have been exceptionally historically important creatures. The, one of the main herds was originally owned by Sheriff Pat Garrett, the person who was said to have killed Billy the Kid, who was a friend of Pat Garrett's. Others were Eugene Manlove Rhodes. Some were even thought to be from Billy the Kid himself. Those horses were left out there since 1908, all the way to 1988 when we started looking at them, and 1990 when we started looking at die-offs that were happening on the missile range. And then in 1994, there was a major die-off. 122 horses showed up dead one day around a major water hole. So I was called in to help capture, arrange the strategy for that capture of those horses. And it ended up being that there was going to be 1,100 horses captured. And by the end of it, we captured more than 2,000. Took them to farming and ranching families from Texarkana, Texas, all Marshall, Texas, all the way out to Los Angeles, California. And so people love their horses. These were really high quality horses, not little Mustangy types. They were excellent horses. And uh, I subsequently wrote a book about it entitled Nobody's Horses because nobody wanted to take ownership of the horses. Finally, the military did. And the military did, I will tell you, everything I asked them to do. They look very mysterious. In the front part of what would subsequently become Nobody's Horses, the book by Simon & Schuster, chapter one would be that prison inmate story. And then chapters, the rest of the book, were going to be about the White Sands Missile Range capture and adoption of 2,000 historically important horses. I might add that there has been a movie recently as 2019 called Mustang, which is a prison inmate wild horse training program that you may watch on Netflix if you so desire. Wow, that that is really interesting. And I remember seeing your presentation and thinking that is something else. <laughs> yeah, definitely worth the read, I'm sure. Uh, so you've devoted your life to animals and more specifically to animal handling. What caused you to take that road in your life? Well, actually it came to me. Because I trained roping horses and I was keenly interested in and competition for cutting horses. And because I came from a from a cattle background living in northeastern Colorado, um, 
it was natural when I became a veterinarian that people would ask about behaviors in animals. And then that grew from individuals asking about behaviors to companies who film in and around animals to ask about how to deal with animals and how to deal with animal extremism, mm-hmm. Disney included. One of the primary reasons I was taken to Paris to work with the Walt Disney Project, Buffalo Bill Wild West Show, was specifically for animal extremism. Is that right? Wow. Same for the same for the prison program, same for any other programs that I've worked with is this. Because I'm an animal trainer and because I teach low energy handling, that is lower the energy in the system. Higher energy causes black and blue. Lower energy calms everybody. It would be natural migrating from a veterinarian into feature film, into live animal programs, U.S. Department of Agriculture, Department of Defense, that I would end up running programs or being asked to consult technically on programs. So the answer to the question is, it just happened. People would show up at the front door and I would say, I'm a veterinarian. I gave an oath. I meant that oath and that oath said to reduce pain and suffering and no matter what, don't make it worse. And there you have my life story. My work today is all about the culmination of all of those different experiences, teaching people worldwide how to lower the energy during human and animal interaction. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I know you, you're very passionate about cow behavior. Uh, it's a very big topic. So let's break it down a little bit. Um, so, so cow behavior, you know, why do cows run? Right. It's a question. That's a wonderful question. And it's also a question I ask at the beginning of almost every seminar, every workshop, one-on-one with people or in groups of 5,000 audience and me talking. I ask why do cattle run? And almost ubiquitously, at least 99% of all audience members in all of those presentations tell me that cattle run because they're afraid of something. And I suggest when they run toward the feed truck to get the nightly feed allotment, are they afraid of the truck? And the answer is obviously they are not. Animals run because they can. That's the science answer. That means their anatomy is set up for it, their electricity is set up for it, and they can do it. So the fact that they can run is not the issue. It's when do they run? Right. That is the primary question to ask and then analyze what happened when they started running, especially when you don't want them to run. Right. And then, you know, along that that train, why do they kick? You know, safety, farm safety is a huge issue. So why do they kick? For precisely the same reasons. They kick because they can. It's when they kick. Do they kick when you put suction on to milk them? Do they kick when you go to touch them? When do they kick? Look at what was going on when it happened. Since you and I do not know the living history of any animal at any time, we don't know what went on last night while we were sleeping and they were doing what they were doing. But let's just, let's suggest this. If they kick, we need to find out what precipitates it. And then we need to do things that don't precipitate it. And that is our mission. Right, today. well said, yeah. And so in your definition, what is body language? 
interesting. Everybody talks, many people talk about body language and we're watching our body language and we're watching an animal's body language. So I asked the question, what language is body language? Is it Mandarin Chinese? Is it Farsi Arabic? Is it Portuguese Spanish? Is it North American cowboy? Is it Canadian English? And the answer is this, there is no such thing as body language. So what is it? What is it to be scientifically correct, but also practical? I teach it every day, thousands of workshops. What is body language? Well, it doesn't exist. It's behavior. We are talking about behavior, the human's behavior and the animal's behavior. When the human does A, what does the animal do in B? Then we study it. Then we watch it. Then we make determinations about what will lower the energy in the system. After all, everything in the universe is energy. Let's concentrate on energy. Since stress doesn't have an accepted definition, we don't study stress. We study how the body responds to a challenge. That we can measure. But if you can't have a definition for stress, because not one is accepted, you can't measure it as high, low, or free. What you do is look at what you can measure, and that's where we concentrate our efforts. But our motto for all of the things that we do doesn't leave out what's going on inside the mind of that animal. Whatever is going on inside that animal's mind is not trivial. There's complicated processes going on inside their head. They can learn. They can be alert. So we study what it is they do, when they do it, and make recommendations to calm the system and get all the milk that's in that udder, get all of the animals work when we need to take it, for instance, to pull a carriage or to haul a person over the mountain or to have a dog actually bring that ball back when you throw it. Right. Yeah. So then why do you think all of these things matter? Why should farm workers understand these things about, about cows? First of all, it's our life's work. It's their life's work. Farmers are very often the best animal handlers in the world. But the reason that we want to talk about this is we have a different consumer today that is very distracted from agriculture. They're not around agriculture. They don't understand agricultural processes. And so everything to them is shocking when energy starts happening on a, fa happening on a farm. Mm -hmm. So we teach farm workforce, as well as ownership, as well as veterinarians, that instead of telling a consumer what we do, we have good welfare and great well-being and, and this much space and this kind of food, show them what we do when humans interact with animals, calming them, the animals, the human first and then the animals, and the consumer looks at that and says, that's what I believe is what I saw, not what I was told. Right. Yeah, that's great. So who helps you train your staff to calm cattle in, uh, in what you do? Who, who helps you with that? So over, the, over time, I've deployed a number of veterinarians and a number of others to help me train. Mm -hmm. Today, I've partnered with in a thing called the Livestock Trust Institute mm -hmm. with a farming family in Wisconsin and another veterinary and nutritionist family in the state of Pennsylvania. And they help me out into the world train in their areas. Other companies are talking with us about scaling this internationally. Oh, that, that's excellent. 
Um, and you've, uh, I've heard you've helped many of your clients win awards. Can you tell me about some of these prestigious achievements? Well, one of the very nice ones was that when we did the original dairy stockmanship modules, number one and number two, that an animal pharmaceutical company uh, distributed for us, they won an International Dairy Foods Award for that work. Not long after that, Hillmar Cheese Company, very large, 280 large dairies in Southern California, also had us out to train. And when we were done, the International Dairy Foods Award was presented to them as well. The Pennsylvania Beef Council won the the Beef Quality Assurance Pennsylvania version award for, and they cited this program, Dairy Stockmanship Livestock Trust Institute, as the primary reason for why that award was handed out, as well as Scattered Acre Farms in Pennsylvania won the National Beef Quality Assurance Award, and then uh, Maple Ridge Farm in Wisconsin just won the National Mastitis Council Award, Platinum Award for the Dairy of the Year. So a number of companies have won awards as a result of deploying this Livestock Trust education platform, and we're just grateful to have been a part of it. That's amazing. And can you explain or elaborate on the Livestock Trust program? In 2009, dairystockmanship.com, an education platform out of the university, was put together. And by 2012, we put together some video modules that I spoke of uh, moments ago. Simultaneously, I initiated the Livestock Trust Institute. What did that mean? Livestock Trust is a place for safekeeping for the animals and the humans who serve them. That education platform was designed to go on farm with live animals in real time. Mm -hmm. Because of such things like this pandemic, this COVID problem that we have today, on-farm interaction has been stifled the same as so many other businesses across the world. Mm -hmm. We've developed a remote live animal in real time training program where I might be sitting in Madison, Wisconsin, and the people I'm training are in Nairobi, Kenya. It works fabulously. It came as a result of my efforts with the U.S. military and my friendships developed there. As you might watch on any action television with police, you see what the police are actually doing in real time. And that's the same thing we do. It works wonderfully. Oh, that's amazing. So how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in, in that program? Don Hoagland at dairystockmanship.com is just fine. And then secondary is DLH at livestocktrust.com. Excellent. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thanks to everyone who's watching or listening. Um, and if you want to learn more, you can also go to northamericanag.com slash livestock trust. And the links will be, all of the links will be provided in the notes below. So thank you so much, Dr. Hoagland. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And have a good day, everyone. The way we conduct business and agriculture has endured a drastic change. Our handshake industry has traditionally been face-to-face, but with the cancellation of in-person events and farm shows, everyone has had to adapt, from farms to manufacturers to service providers. With a dizzying array of marketing and digital business choices, you need to make the right decisions or risk not being seen at all. 
If you need advice or a customized plan for your business, don't hesitate to reach out to me at chrissywozniak.com or chrissy.info because that's easier to spell. Don't risk not pivoting your business. Find a path that will take you into the digital space and be seen by our industry. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.